Welcome to AASHTO Resource Q&A. We're taking time to discuss construction materials testing and inspection with people in the know. From exploring testing problems and solutions to laboratory best practices and quality management, we're covering topics important to you. Now, here's our host, Brian Johnson. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about hydrometer testing with two guests. Our first guest is Kendra Adams, president of Blue Rock Labs in Littleton, Colorado. How are you doing today, Kendra? I'm great, Brian. Thank you. And our second guest is our very own Pete Holter, senior quality analyst with the Ashto Accreditation Program. Pete, how's it going today? Hey, boss. I'm doing good. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back to Kendra, uh, you are president of Blue Rock Labs. Do you want to tell us about Blue Rock Labs? Yeah, a little bit about Blue Rock Labs. So we're located here in the Denver metro area and we do uh, geotechnical testing of soils, just laboratory testing. So uh, we don't go out on any job sites or anything that like that. But, you know, we do all the standard uh, index testing, uh, Atterberg limits, sieves, water contents, things like that. And then we also do um, some more advanced testing, triaxials and uh, incrementals, things like that, if you want to consider those advanced. But uh, I usually do because they uh, cost more money and equipment. So <laughs> we do all kinds of different testing, but mostly just geotechnical stuff um, and just laboratory stuff. Right. And you don't only get into the, the uh, testing of soil and geotechnical, you're also pretty heavily involved in ASTM standards development. Is that correct? Yes, I do. I do a lot with the uh, main committee D18 on soil and rock. I'm pretty, pretty heavily invested in that group. Spend a lot of my, my free time working on standards, reviewing standards, things like that. Yeah. And, and the reason why I picked Kendra for this episode is because she was heavily involved uh, with the development of both ASTM D6913 and D7928. And those standards are the replacements for uh, a classic standard, uh, D422, which was the gradation and hydrometer with, frankly, very little content written in the gradation component. And mostly uh, the content was on the hydrometer, but there was a lot of room for improvement. So D18 spent some time working on uh, some advancements in the, in the standard and ended up splitting it up. But I would really love Kendra to give us some background on what the thought process was in D18 and and how you were able and, and your team there uh, in D18 was able to transition from D422 to D6913 and D7928. So subcommittee D1803 is the one that is responsible, has jurisdiction for all of the three standards you just mentioned. And so D422 had been on the books for years and years and years. And, and I agree, some of the content was, was lacking or was confusing. And I think we've all experienced that in various uh, degrees. But at some point, um, I think it was in, I want to say the late 90s, the, the subcommittee decided that there were so many issues with D422, and not all of them bad, but just things we needed to fix that we would separate the standard into basically three and two of them are done and the third one is coming. But what we did was basically said we need to separate the sieve and the hydrometer testing to, to better define each one. And so that's what we did. And uh, the, most of us know that D6913 is very long compared to D422. And so that was uh, you know a little bit of a hurdle there. It's like, why is this so long? But 
let me tell you a little bit about some of the thinking of, of why the the civ civ portion of D422 was was maybe not as awesome as it could be. Uh, what it basically came down to is that there's two different philosophies for obtaining a test specimen in, in preparation. There's the, the dry prep and then there's the moist prep. And um, I got some information, background information um, from someone much older and wiser than me that basically said Corps of Engineers back in World War II did a lot of stuff with moist, moist soils. And then the Bureau of Reclamation was doing a lot of things in more arid regions and they wanted to stay away from from water issues with soils. And so there's two philosophies based on that basis um, versus the dry and the moist. And so based on those two different philosophies and what we've learned is that we know that the moist preparation is better for all the soils and um, that we don't want segregation in fine soils. Like, or I'm sorry, we don't want the segregation of the fines in sandy soils. And we don't want the dry prep preparation for clay soils because that can actually change the structure of the clays. So we know things about the tropical soils um, and hydrated fine grains soils. We know that they can't properly be rehydrated super well. So part of what was wrong with 422 is there really wasn't any control over or much information about this particular case. And so that was causing some issues. Uh, right. People working with those types of soils or we could get incorrect results or your lab would have something different than my lab. Okay, so right out of the gate, 422 was in trouble because it required you to, to perform dry prep according to D421. Is that, is that what you're saying, essentially? Essentially, yeah. Everything was dry prep. Wow. So you haven't even gotten to the test yet, and you're already in a situation where you're not getting an optimal test result. Potentially, yes. It just all de you know, depends on what you have. But, but yeah, that's pretty much the gist of that story. Okay. And then once it gets into testing... Well, I guess you don't really have to get into why 422 was so limited, but and and I think it's okay. We can uh, mention. I think you may be talking about Richard Ladd. Is that correct? I am. He is my historian for all things particle size analysis. Yeah, he's he's a wealth of information. He was there <laughs> from the development of a lot of these standards, and uh, we may end up having him on on one of these episodes too. But I'm not sure we have enough time uh, to cover. <laughs> all of the information that Richard has to convey, just spending one day talking to him, you learn so much. Yeah, he's, uh, he's been instrumental in, in my professional career. And, and personally, he's a good friend of mine. So kudos to Richard, great person. Yeah, that's great. So let, let's talk about the development of 6913 since we're starting off with gradation. Is the prep covered in that standard or is it, does it refer you to another standard? Correct. It is in D6913. So they wanted, subcommittee wanted to get rid of D421, which was the dry prep method. So basically they started working on one at a time, putting the preparation process into each of the standards and civ and hydrometer were the last two. So yes, in the civ standard now, 6913, um, it does a really good job of explaining the different preparation methods so that you'll get a good representative sample so that you'll get a good test specimen. And people are often overwhelmed by 6913. You mentioned this because of the length of the standard. Is there anything that you can tell people who are potential either users or potential users of this standard that might kind of help them, uh, maybe put them at ease or or give them a quick understanding of of how to go through that standard without getting overwhelmed? Sure. I think the first, the easiest thing that I could say is is just to 
there's lots of flow charts in there and there's just tons of information and and trust me um when i was reviewing it i had a hard time um with it as well but my advice is just go one sample type at a time so start off with saying okay i have a regular most of us have samples that are usually minus number four sieve that's usually single set sieving and then only concentrate on those sections of D6913 that talk about that and, and get a pretty good feel for, okay, this is exactly how this works. Anytime you go up above, um, usually about the three eighths and you get into the inch, the three quarter inch material, talking about lot, much larger samples. And so you're either doing composite sieving. And I think that's where a lot of people really get overwhelmed because there's so much and there's so many acronyms and there's so many subscripts that it, it, it feels like I just give up. Our brains just shut off. Um, but what I can say is that if you do one kind of sample at a time, and, and sometimes I, I've even just had people, I just dump a sample on the floor and say, okay, let's, let's run through this. If you do the single composite sitting first, and then you just keep adding the layers until you're convinced that, that of how easy it actually is, because it's not really difficult, it's just wordy. Mm -hmm. so, so that's kind of my recommendation is just to take one soil size at a time and just and keep adding until you feel more comfortable reading the standard and going, oh, this is what that means by this part of the composite sitting. Yeah, and how long if did it helpful. take? To, it, that that's extremely helpful. And how long did it take to get uh, to get used to or comfortable with the standard where you wouldn't feel uh, nervous when you're running a sample and trying to adhere to it? You know, I think for me, um, and I can't speak for everyone because everybody processes things differently, but um, most of us are. Visual, a lot of us are visual learners, and so just running through it, um, I think a couple times on a dummy sample. I think there's too much pressure when it's a production sample or for, or for a client. I think everybody wants to do a really good job for their clients, and so trying to learn on <laughs> a production sample, it adds pressure that we just don't need. And so, um, I, yeah, I create practice samples and, you know, run it through a couple times and you know, figure out where I make the mistake and go, okay, I'm not going to do that again. And uh, I think sometimes it's, that's the best way to learn is, is by failing. And then sure. it sticks, it sticks with you a little bit more. Oh, don't, don't do that again. That was, that was bad. No, go ahead, Brian. Sorry. I, I was just going to say, have you ever had to train anybody on how to run that test? Sort of. I employ my, a lot of high school kids. And so um, usually when it comes to composite sieving, I just do those myself um, just because of the complexity of keeping track of it all. But I've had to explain it a couple times and I, and I wouldn't say that I am the super best person to explain that test. I'm better at showing it. And then I've had a lot of help from Richard and um, Jeannie Asquith in Buffalo, New York, uh, going over it and we just kind of walk through it. So, so the answer to your question, yeah, I've trained a little bit, but probably not like a two inch or a three inch minus. Um, okay. I think I'm, I think I'm pretty rusty on that myself. I don't see that as much where I'm, I am, but I do typically see one inch minus material here. Mm -hmm. So my follow-up question was going to be about some tips for, for trainers teaching new people or inexperienced people, how to get comfortable with that standard. It sounds like you've already kind of answered that with your visual learning approach. Yeah, I, I really think just, um, but I kind of think I'm a teacher at heart. But I know that sometimes I talk too fast. And so um, when training, it just depends on the person that you're training, the age that they are, and what they're used to. Um, so I do try to sometimes talk a little bit slower, or I, I go step by step and ask a lot of questions like, does, 
I, I say, does this make sense to you a lot? Um, and I give them an opportunity to stop and go, no, I don't, I don't understand that. Or I don't understand why I needed that mask, but I don't need this mask. And, and just give them an opportunity to, to ask the questions. And then if I'm feeling really adventurous, sometimes I'll um, go, okay, I want you to do the calculations. And then, then usually their minds are blown, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, yeah. I understand that that's a great technique. Uh, and I think it's uh, a lot of people could benefit from hearing what you just said, because people do get overwhelmed. And, and there's nothing worse than just handing somebody 6913 and saying, Okay, I want you to figure this out and uh, go, go ahead and test those samples over there. Uh, I don't think that's going to be very successful. No, I, I agree. And I think that we had a conversation um, with some other D18 folks a long time ago about why do we have lab managers? And we basically have lab managers to look at these standards and then teach our staff. And so, yeah, I don't expect any, but I don't ever hand a standard to somebody and say, here, go do this. Um, it's just setting them up for failure. And, and I don't want that for them. I want them to feel successful. So, you know, I'll spend the time to go over a standard with somebody and then, you know, they, they can read it. But yeah, D6913, if you hand that to somebody, I think they're going to walk out your door and say no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, so we, I think originally I've gotten way off track, as I often do with these conversations. But I brought you, <laughs> I got you on here to talk about D7928. <laughs> Uh, the hydrometer portion of this, but it, it, they all do go together. Those the, those two standards and eventually the third, which I definitely want to talk about later on. Uh, but can you talk about the transition from 422 to 7928? Sure. So now that uh, we've split the D422 up a little bit, uh, D7928 is specifically focusing on the fines, the, sign, the, um, the clay size and silt size particles. This standard is primarily to be used for samples or specimens that don't have coarse material in them. And so initially there was some concern of, oh, this, this isn't good that we split this, this doesn't, what do I, I'm gonna get two different grain sizes if I have some plus number 10. A very valid question, um, and we'll talk about that combo standard later, but in this particular one, there, there was a need for just identifying and just evaluating very fine grain soils. And so that was the, the kind of the reasoning behind the hydrometer and splitting it so that uh, I don't know if this happened to anyone else, but I would get a sample and they'd say, I need a, a gradation and they want D422. Well, did you want the sieve and the hydrometer? Do you just want the sieve? Do you just want the hydrometer? Because we could, we could do those things. And so breaking it up this way, you know, helps us in the lab. If someone comes in and says, I need a sieve. Okay, you want D6913? Yes. Okay, you want hydrometer. You want D7928? Yes. The new standard really just focuses on just the hydrometer portion of it. Yeah, that's that's a great point that you just made because we see this in on the proficiency sample results all the time, uh, where somebody will just submit the gradation portion and they in their minds they probably think that they ran D four twenty two, but uh, they only ran part of it. Right, and that's part of the specification too. Is when um, the specifying agencies say, "I want D four twenty two," but then they they bring you in a, a clean sand. Well, I'm not gonna. I'm not obviously. I'm not running a hydrometer. There's not enough fine sized material in there to do anything with. So, yeah. So it makes it difficult. So splitting it up kind of actually helps for the lab assignment side of things. 
Yeah. Now for seventy nine twenty eight, what were the important elements of that standard that you and and the D eighteen team wanted to capture? Sure. So some of the things that we really wanted to make sure that we included here that kind of cleaned up some of the stuff from D four twenty two. In D four twenty two, specifically for the hydrometer. It talked about accounting for the meniscus, but it didn't really give much information about any of it. It also, in D422, we, we didn't really have any control over the dimensions of the cylinder, and uh, it used average values of the for the hydrometer. And so we noticed that there was variation between cylinders, and we noticed that there was variation between hydrometers, particularly for the hydrometers here in the last several years where the manufacturing process has changed. Um, we've been told it's harder to get the same kind of uh, silica to make the glass. And we always joked that there was one guy that made all the hydrometers for everybody, and then he <laughs> retired. <laughs> and that's that's why things are harder. When So when I get a new hydrometer, I've actually sent some back because they don't meet the spec of 7928, which comes basically out of E100. And so in D7928, uh, we made a statement about not testing clean sands. You just can't put enough in there to to get any value out of that. The other thing that we wanted to make sure is that we were controlling the the addition of the dispersant. In D422, you could make a solution. It only lasted about a week before it hydrolyzed. And um, now we just don't do that. So it's a little bit easier. It saves a little bit of, of effort and, and some money, too, that you're only using the dispersant that you need and not having to throw it away if you maybe didn't run a test you know, after a week. The other thing we wanted to capture was the use of the um, the agitator, the one that you pull up and down instead of hand tipping. So back in the day, as Richard reminded me, hand tipping was really hard for people that had small palms. And so there would be a lot of leakage, you know, when they're trying to tip it, and, you know, and now they're using rubber stoppers, which helps, but you could still have leak potential if you didn't get that rubber stopper in the way. So we wanted to capture that you could still do hand tipping, um, but they also have now this new little um, agitator guy that just goes up and down, and it's it's so much easier. I always joke I'll, I'll never go back to hand tipping. <laughs> um, but one of the most important features of the hydrometer standard is the temperature density correction equations. And, and the method in D422 is just a slope. Basically said, take two points and, and have a slope, and then that's, that's it. Um, what I found out from Richard was that that slope could be off by 200 to 300%. And so we're getting, we're putting in bad information. Um, the hydrometers really aren't that bad. So fixing that temperature density equation um, and then just getting a better equation for our diameter so that we're not using tables for calculations. Those are some really important things we wanted to get in there. And D422, that table for K, actually has some mistakes in it um, that we never did correct because we decided to, it was going to be withdrawn and it's just historical now. So those are some of the main things that we wanted to, you know, make sure that we captured in, in the hydrometer testing. Okay. The, yeah. That's good. Now I'm going to bring Pete in on this because we, we've now had a couple of years of laboratory assessments and we've seen how people are taking this standard and applying it in their laboratories and understand how to measure the hydrometer and the graduated cylinders. Pete, can you tell us how people are doing with this? Yeah, we uh, started assessing for this test beginning of 2017, and uh, we've had over 400 nonconformities so far for the labs. Uh, we have more than 100 accredited labs now, 
at the wait, time. wait, wait, hold on, Pete. You're saying 400 different nonconformities non exist? Nonconformities. Those are different of yeah. nonconformities that have been written. Oh, it's cumulative. So for the past three and a half plus years, we've written more than 400 nonconformities. Oh, this okay. All right. That's good. Because yeah. I, I was going to say, I can't imagine. I know that standard is not as short as 422, but I don't even know if there's 400 uh, separate criteria that there could be nonconformities written about. So I'm glad to hear that was cumulative. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> we don't have any uh, labs getting hundreds of nonconformities for this test. Uh, we, we do see labs getting five or six nonconformities, and so that's not uncommon. What uh, we see most frequently is that labs are getting the nonconformity that says they didn't have the data sheets and test reports that conform to D7928. And 19 times those types of nonconformities mention that the lab instead of that, presented data sheets and reports in conformance with D422. We also frequently see the nonconformity that labs didn't have check records for either the hydrometer or the cylinder. And so these three nonconformities, not having the report and calculations for the test method, not having the check records for the cylinder, and not having the check records for the hydrometer. These all point to, well, these new labs that are seeking accreditation for D7928 are, for the most part, simply processing data in accordance with D422. So, th and this kind of ties in with our proficiency sample program results, because currently what you see, if you look at the standard deviations, is uh, there's not much difference between the standard deviations for the D422 results and the standard deviations for the D7928 results. No real appreciable difference in the accuracy of the test methods. And so, based on the nonconformities we've seen during our assessments, we can kind of assume that in some cases, or in many cases, the labs are simply running D422 and reporting the results that are processed in accordance with D422 in both places on their proficiency sample reports. So uh, hopefully, um, uh, assuredly, uh, as we continue to add accredited labs and work through the nonconformities from the assessment reports to get them to actually be performing D7928, we'll have increased confidence that the results being reported under D422 and D7928 are derived from testing performed in accordance with the respective methods. And hopefully what we'll also see is that D7928 is in fact more accurate than D422. Yeah, that's a really good point about the proficiency sample data, Pete, and, and I think that's an important thing for any specifiers who might be listening to this to understand. Uh, just because you're not seeing a difference in our proficiency sample results uh, between the old hydrometer and the new hydrometer, you should not conclude yet that they are about the same anyway, because these are proficiency samples that are performed without anybody watching them. We know that there's confusion about the existence of the new standard and 
uh, assimilation to that new way of running the test. So you, what you may actually be seeing is people submitting 422 data uh, in their 7928 test results. Uh, maybe they're just very uh, varying the uh, amount of measurements that they're recording uh, or the data that they're reporting, uh, but they, they, it's possible that they're still doing the hand agitation that Kendra was talking about, and it's possible that they're just not doing the prep the way that they're supposed to as well. Uh, now, Pete, on the measurement of the hydrometer and the cylinder issue, uh, we, we run into issues in the accreditation program and the assessment program with AASHTO where we see records and those records are supposed to be indicative of measurements that people are taking. Uh, but there's a, a gap in training and understanding of how to take those measurements sometimes. And it leads to some sometimes questionable results on those records. How are the laboratories handling uh, just taking the measurements in general? Are you seeing reliable results there or are you having to provide some guidance to people on how to do those or take those measurements? Yeah, I think, you know, from what I've seen, there hasn't been a question about the data that they show. What I mean, there, there are things missing and then it's like, well, you don't have this measurement or that measurement that the annex call for, calls for, and, and then they just have to add it. Um, there are some measurements being specified by D7928 that I think could be changed to make things more accurate. So, for example, when you're determining the HR1 and HR2 values, which get, end up getting used in the effective depth calculation, I think most labs are going to be using caliper readable to a hundredth of a millimeter. And, you know, we don't need that much accuracy, but I think the standard currently calls for measuring those lengths to the nearest one millimeter, I think. Is that right, Kendra? You know, I'm, looking, but, um, I'm looking. Let me look, Pete. I'll get back with you in a second. Okay. And so I think, you know, this is an example of, hey, you know, labs are already taking this, these measurements or have the ability to take these measurements to a resolution that's 100 times greater than what the standard is requiring. And so maybe just go ahead and specify that uh, as an example of a way to increase the accuracy of this test over the, the old test. Now, in terms of, okay, well, you know, is this data good data? Are these length measurements accurate? And I think this is another opportunity for D7928 uh, for continued development here. And that's in how to accurately mark the hydrometer at the center of buoyancy. Uh, the standard doesn't give you a detailed, you know, here's how you can get a mark on that accurately. And I think it'd be great to, to see some more, you know, step-by-step -step instructions on how to get an accurate marking of that length. Because well, if you don't get the mark in the right spot, then it doesn't really matter how accurately you uh, you measure it. So uh, I think that would be really great too. Yeah, so it's currently those length measurements are to the nearest one millimeter. So. Okay, sounds good. Now, Pete, working with the labs like you have been, uh, are there any other sources of confusion or 
suggestions for improvement that you've heard from the uh, users of the standard? Well, uh, I know one source of confusion, and, and it looks like a proposed update is going to help address this, is the temperature density calibration that gets done when you're doing these five determinations and getting that average value to plug into the offset that's used in your daily testing. You know, there, that, so again, this goes back to, well, labs are just doing D422, they're not doing D7928. That comes in here again, they're just kind of, the, they're determining their composite correction by doing the line graph that Kendra was talking about uh, earlier, you know, two points at two different temperatures and draw the line. So getting that section of the method clarified, uh, it's currently getting clarified. Um, for example, the standard deviation needing to be within a certain amount and, you know, the, the current text leaves you with kind of with the question, well, the standard deviation of what? Uh, because the, the text mentions readings and so you have labs thinking it's referring to the standard deviation of the hydrometer readings, which would then force you to go through this process at essentially the same temperature. Uh, and so that's kind of what I've seen that happen. Um, and then, it's, well, no, it's the standard deviation of the five calculated results from the equation. So you, you need to vary your hydrometer readings at different temperatures. Kendra, as, a, as somebody who's been working on this, have you been hearing anything from the users of the standard? Has ASTM been getting any uh, notifications from users or questions from users that have been directed to you? Uh, most of the question, uh, no, other than I get Pete's questions uh, <laughs> when, we're, we're working on, when we're working on stuff, uh, but those are always welcome and good. Uh, no, most of the, the main question that we get asked often um, is, why isn't D422 coming back? And what do I do if I need a full gradation on a, I need to do the, the sieve and the hydrometer? What do I do? Those are the, the big questions I get. It, it was good to hear uh, what Pete just said about things that he's seeing and hearing. And, uh, you know, we try to do our best to update standards when we hear about things that are confusing. Uh, so when, when I was working on the hydrometer standard, uh, one of the big things I do when I'm doing any standard development is I try really hard to approach it from a novice point of view so that I make sure I write down the step-by-step -step, uh, so that someone may not be confused. So in what listening to what Pete said about the um, temperature density offset values, I was looking at the standard and I'm like, oh, I see where the confusion is coming from because of a word choice. And so, you know, hopefully by putting in all those examples at the end of the standard, which made it longer, uh, hopefully by doing the examples that someone can take the words, look at the examples and, and okay, that's what they mean. So that was the hope with putting all those examples in there so that it kind of eliminated some questions. Uh, I, I know as a user of some of the other standards, I, I read it, I'm not quite sure I understand, but then I see an example calculation and then it's a light bulb, oh, I get what they're saying. Um, so I always find that useful. So if there's any ASTM standard writers out there, uh, I would take that into consideration when you're when you're put some examples in uh, to help the user. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. And as a fellow standards developer in uh, ASTM and Ashto, 
you know, we, we, we all realize that the, the job is never done. There's always room for improvement. There's always someone that's going to read a line that seems uh, abundantly clear to everybody in the room at the time uh, about what it means and somebody gets some other meaning out of it. And, and then when that is revealed, then everybody says, oh, why didn't we think of that? Why didn't we recognize that? Uh, and it happens every <laughs> happens in every committee. <laughs> Happens yep. with so many standards, the most obvious things that you think because you know what it means can be confusing to others. So we, we I, I think I could uh, say this uh, on behalf of a lot of standards developers or most of us, uh, that we understand that and we accept it <laughs> and we are all working on it all the time. Uh, so to the question that you get all the time about 420, this, this uh, desire to go back to 422, uh, <laughs> Where do you think it stems from? Uh, why why are people so eager to go back to using that standard that has so many holes in it and is is pretty incomplete? I think it's twofold. I think I think in general it, it does appear simpler. It's only a few pages, and I think that um, you know we mentioned that D sixty nine thirteen feels overwhelming. So I think there's a little bit of of that, um, but I also think people don't like change in general. Um, I had a good friend tell me people only change when it's more painful to not change. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think, you know, the type of people that are working with soils, we generally, um, you know, all kind of have the same ways of thinking about things. And so, yeah, the way we've always done it is is okay. So I, I think there's just a little bit of hesitation to want to, you know, jump in and go, I'm going to do something new now. And why, why do I have to do something new now? I mean, it's it's just, and I say this with quotes, it's just a sieve test or it's just a hydrometer test. I, I, I think that's really all it is. And two, specifying agencies are a little slow to adapt. So they're still specifying D422. So I think we might have going to talk about that a little bit later. But, um, you know, until that's written out of the specs, you know, we still have to be prepared to perform those tests. But in general, I think I think folks were comfortable with D422. I feel like they understood it well and, and they got used to it. And so I think that's kind of where the hesitation comes from. I want to go back to it. it I, I think everyone recognizes it had, you know, like you said, every standard's never 100% perfect the way we want it. Uh, but I think people are just more comfortable with it. And, you know, some of us have been in this in in our careers a long time. We're like, oh, what are these new kids coming up with now? Kind of mentality. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I think that's it. Now, Pete, you had your hand up. Oh, yeah. I, I just wanted to go back. Yeah, I said in the temperature density section, I, I thought it, I remembered that it said readings, but it was actually measurements. Um, so measurements was the word choice that was throwing uh, some off. And, and and me, too. But going to what Kendra, Kendra just said about figures and including examples, and that's exactly what helped me figure out what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, because I plugged her data from the final example in D7928 into a spreadsheet I'd been working on, and then that's when I realized, oh, it's the five standard deviations of the a, of the value for A or B, uh, whatever it happened to be. Yeah, so examples are definitely uh, go a long way. Yeah, that's great to hear. And now back to the conversation about people still using D422. When, when these standards, when 6913 and 7928 came out uh, and 422 fell off the books, we were inundated with calls and, and emails about, you know, what do I do now? 
422 and 421 are no longer being published. How do I, or like, I, I, well, I think it was 421 as well being removed. But the, the big question was on 422. How do I run this project? Requires me to run 422. What do I do? And we'd say, well, you know, that even though it's off the books, it just means it's not being managed anymore. If the standard or if the standard is being required for you to perform it, you would be expected to perform it. But you can always talk to your specifying agency or whoever's letting that contract to find out if they would prefer you to use the new version of the standard or if they want 422 specifically. And we had been asked about why are you <laughs> almost like we have um, enabled the industry to stick with 422 by still accrediting for it. Uh, I, I can understand that perspective as well, but uh, from where we sit, we know that a lot of specifiers actually do want 422 specifically. Uh, it's not just an accident, and they didn't just mean whatever the standard is. They wanted 422. They're comfortable with that standard. Uh, so we still have hundreds of laboratories accredited for it throughout the United States. So uh, we do still continue to maintain that accreditation. Plus, I will add this, there's an Ashto version, T88, uh, and that standard is, is alive and kicking uh, still. And it's, uh, it has not been replaced uh, in, unless a state has issued their own standard or maybe they're not using that and they've shifted over on their own to, four, uh, or to uh, D6913 and D7928. Now, Kendra, you were talking about a third standard that's in the works. Uh, can you tell us about that? I'd love to. So, yes, what we're hoping to do, and, and we've been, it's been validated a couple times and it, it's still being kicked around, is we wanted to provide users with what we're calling a simplified combination standard. And the reason that it's simplified is that we're looking at basically, I believe we started out with one inch minus material and we might have even dropped it down to three quarter inch. But what it does and what the purpose of the standard is, is to provide um, a way or a method for labs to run a full gradation on, I'm gonna stick with one inch minus, because um, I think that's what it was. I, I haven't looked at it here in a little bit, but the one inch minus, um, because that only requires 25,000 grams of material that's more workable. And the thinking is, is that most labs in general, usually that's the, the size that they see or less. and so. That standard is going to provide a way for you to do all of your processing, all of your sample, you know, um, separating all of the sieve sizes and perform the sieve and the hydrometer using 6913 and D7928. So basically the idea is, is that we want to tell the people, the users, how to recombine mathematically all of the data to get a, a full gradation. Some of the pushback has been, well, we want it to include the two inch and the three inch minus. And the reason that it doesn't include that is because when you start talking about three inch minus material, you need 75 kilograms of sample just to start with. And most of us on a daily basis don't get samples in like that. Now, some of us do. Um, this is not to say that folks in arid regions or in, in mountainous areas, you know, we get, we see a lot of, of different things. Even glacial till um, has this wide variety. Um, so we've gotten a little bit of pushback on why don't you have a standard for everything. And, and the thinking behind that is, is that D6913 really does a really good job of telling you how to get from a super large sample down to something smaller. 
And so I, we don't want to reinvent the wheel by writing another standard that basically takes all of 6913 and all of the D7928 and basically do a redux of D422. We don't want to do that. And so the combo standard, um, hopefully soon, will be back out to ballot uh, that addresses what most of us see on a, on a daily basis. Again, not all of us, but most of us. And then the hope is that we'll be able to, once we get that simplified combination standard out there, that we'll go back into D6913 and add some language for those of us that, are, that do have to do a full gradation on three and two inch minus material. Okay, that sounds good. So, so the way that standard is organized is it kind of just take you through the takes you through a practical uh, use of the or processing of uh, of a sample, and then do, do you jump in that standard to sixty nine thirteen uh, where appropriate, and then jump to seventy nine twenty eight where appropriate? So, do you need all three of the standards together to be able to run that new standard? You'll need to have um, a yes. The short answer is yes. You'll need to be familiar with D6913 as far as the sieving, like how to what sieve stack to use when you know masses that you need to keep track of. Um, and then when it, it's basically the idea behind it is to tell you here's how to process it. Here's how you get good representative specimens from your representative sample. And so yeah. So when it gets down to the portion where it has you take your um, specimen for your hydrometer. It tells you how to get to that, and then it says, okay, now you have your specimen. Now follow D7928 for the procedure of how to do the hydrometer portion of the test. Okay, well, that's that good because that then you avoid any sort of uh, confusion, right? Or, uh, well, you avoid redundancy and you avoid potential uh, similar standards kind of uh, splitting apart and getting different requirements or having conflicts in the language so that, that sounds like a smart way to handle it uh what any idea of when it has that been ballot at subcommittee yet or is that expected when is that expected to come out and at least on a subcommittee ballot sure it's been balloted twice at subcommittee over the last few years i am i'm taking all of the negative votes and comments that i got at the last round of subcommittee balloting and working on it and my hope is to get it back out to ballot very soon this this quarter coming up because uh, we we really identify that we need it and we need it badly. There's just a lot of conflicting ideas about what it should be and what it should right. cover. Should it cover three inch, two inch, one inch? And I and I understand all of that 100%. So it's trying to work within those bounds to to get everybody to something we can agree on. So are you do you, are right at this point? Are you thinking you might just have a some sort of statement in there that addresses the concerns of the the people with a larger size aggregate in their soil samples? Yes, that's one of the edits I'm working on is to make it more clear in the scope section if you're familiar with uh, ASTMs, how they're written. So yeah, so the, I think the biggest confusion came from the scope not being super clear about the larger size particles. And so that's one of the edits I'm making to explain just a little bit better you know, what the purpose of this particular standard is and, and how and what's going to happen with larger material. Yeah, that, that sounds great. And that, that standards development process, especially with these long and complicated standards, can be grueling. And you've got people, you know, in D18, you've got people from all over the world uh, giving their perspective, and they've all got native soils that they deal with, and they may have different ideas about the best way or just more experience on how to deal with a variety of materials. And that 
that is so welcome uh, to the people editing it, but it's also very difficult to meet everyone's needs. And because ASTM is a consensus process, we really do have to get to the point where all the negatives are either uh, resolved through further edits or found to be non-persuasive. Uh, so that is a monumental task, I'm sure, for you. So thank you for all your efforts uh, involved in trying to make soil testing better. Thank you. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge, and and I agree 100%. Um, it's always good to have other perspectives and get more information. You know, I'm I'm always you know welcome and open to that. Sometimes I scratch my head and go, what? But it just stretches my thinking and it and helps me to see things from someone else's perspective as well. And you know, as Pete said, maybe it was a word choice, and I'm like, oh yeah, he's right. If I just change this, it'll be, make it more clear. So that's the great thing about consensus balloting. You get a lot of people looking at it, and um, and I know that you know this, and anyone else that's ever had to put forth a proposal and get edits, whether it's even writing a a, a report and being reviewed by your your boss, uh, you know, you get some red ink on that. So yeah, it's a tough job, but. Uh, you know, in the end, we're just trying to get something that everyone can agree on and can use that hopefully makes the process better or, and or easier for a user. Yeah, that sounds good. And how can people who may be listening to this and they want to get their input into the standards, how can they get involved? So one of the ways is you can join ASTM as a participating member. The cost is $75 for the year. And you also, with that, you get a free volume. You can choose whatever volume you want. So if, if this one, uh, D7928 is in volume 409, but if you want 408 or you want one of the C09 standard books, you can get that. Um, but then you become a voting member. And when we send things out to ballot, you get basically a first look at it to, to see what's proposed. And you can then vote to add whatever comments you think, or if you're like, oh, I think she's just crazy. And you know, this whole section is wrong, that's your opportunity to write in and say what you think it should say and, and make your voice heard. So um, that's one good way of doing it. You can always uh, reach out directly to ASTM. There's an Ask ASTM button on their website and you can ask questions like, why can't D422 come back? And then it gets forwarded and uh, we'll answer it. But one of the things that we can't do or we don't usually do is if you ask ASTM and say, I'd like to take a look at this, can you send it to me? The answer is gonna be no, we, we can't send it to you because it's a working document and it's um, only for ASTM members to take a look at. So again, I'd recommend signing up for to join ASTM, but um, those are good ways to get your voice heard. Yeah, that sounds good. And and while we're on the subject matter, before the uh, we started recording today, Kendra and I were talking about how we're, we're discussing an ASTM standard and uh, we're, you know, we're volunteers when it comes to the ASTM standard development process, but ASTM is a, is a company and we're, we don't work for them. So uh, while we're talking about the ASTM standards development process and our thoughts about wording in it, uh, we speak about that as members and, and it doesn't represent uh, any of the thoughts or opinions of ASTM International. Uh, so we'll just get that out there. Uh, so everybody understands that disclaimer. Uh, in the in the subcommittee in the committee meetings, we also have similar disclaimers to that, and we also talk about no recording of the uh, proceedings and everything's retained in the minutes. But on here, we are recording, uh, and it is not an official. <laughs> it is not an official meeting. We're just we're talking about the standard. 
Uh, so, Kendra, I, I appreciate your time today. I, I've kept you longer than I intended to, but I've really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you for your time and for being on and sharing your ideas with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I um, I enjoy talking about this kind of stuff, and and I, I'm glad that Pete was on too so that I could get some more insight into things that, you know, we can change in that standard. So I love it. Thank you so much for having me. All right, thanks. And thank you to Pete Holter. Pete, thanks for... Uh, sitting in with us. I know this isn't your first choice of things to do this afternoon, uh, but we appreciate your insights. Well, thanks. Thanks, Brian. And, and that's not because I don't like the subject matter, but I'm just a shy guy, just so everyone knows. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was also nice to hear Kendra's voice. Uh, we've emailed quite a few times in the past on B7928, so it was nice to finally meet her in this way. That sounds good. So we're bringing people together uh, and spreading information about standards. So that's that's what this podcast is all about. We're trying to make connections with people. Uh, if anybody wants to get in touch with Kendra Adams, uh, Kendra, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, for ASTM related questions, um, you can email me and, and don't laugh at my email. I clearly wasn't thinking about it in one way. I'm a geologist and geological engineer, uh, but my email is it's KSA rocks you at yahoo.com for ASTM. So it's K S is in Sam, A is in Alice, R O C K S is in Sam, the letter U at yahoo.com. All right. I love it. And I think you have thought about it yeah. because it's a great, <laughs> it's a great email address for a geologist. Uh, so thanks again for being on and, uh, and I look forward to seeing how the standards develop. Me too. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Ashto Resource Q&A. If you'd like to be a guest or just submit a question, send us an email at podcast at ashtoresource.org or call Brian at 240-436-4820. For other related news and content, check out Ashto Resource's Twitter feed or go to ashtoresource.org.